Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is Margaret McSweeney, your host here on webtalkradio.net, and I am just so delighted you have joined me in my kitchen today, and we have two very special guests. I'm just um, thrilled to introduce you to. Our first guest will be Chef Eddie Montalvo. He is the chef to cuisine at Blue Smoke Flatiron in New York City. This is an award-winning restaurant, which is part of the wonderful, wonderful Danny Meyer um, Union Square Hospitality Group. So I can't wait to learn all about barbecue and, and how to get that secret sauce to, to uh, really, really uh, tantalize the taste buds. So we're going to be talking to the expert. So without further ado, Chef Eddie, thank you so much for being on Kitchen Chat. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Oh, this is great. So, barbecue is your passion, and and I love the the um the tagline for Blue Smoke um, Restaurant there in New York City at the, in the Flatiron Building. Is that right there in the Flatiron Building? Uh, it's not in the Flatiron Building. It's in the Flatiron District. Oh, the Flatiron. Great. Oh, okay, great. So it's in the Flatiron District, and and I love the tagline on the website, which says, Urban Barbecue, Where Live Music Lives. <laughs> this, is, this is great. So with um, Blue Smoke, so the whole focus, the whole menu uh, revolves around barbecue. Correct. Great, great. And and um, is there a special, because I know, oh my goodness, there's so many different kinds of barbecue, even, you know, in the South where I grew up, um, in Alabama, you've got the Texas kind, you've got the Alabama, the, the South Carolina, the, the Tennessee. So what type of barbecue technique do you focus on there at uh, Blue Smoke? Well, here at Blue Smoke, we focus on the four primary regions, mm-hmm. uh, which are St. Louis, mm-hmm. Kansas City, uh, Memphis, uh, and Texas. And uh, actually, we just recently added uh, the Carolinas. We started representing the Carolinas as of last month ah. uh, with our pulled pork. Oh, great, great. And it's so interesting how... Barbecue preparation really seems to differ from each state. It's it's interesting. Um, you know, a lot of that has to do with what was available mm-hmm. in uh, each of these regions. Uh, you know, for example, in St. Louis, uh, you know, they had a lot of uh, pork. In Texas, there's a lot of beef. Uh, the Carolinas, a lot of pork as well. So, you know, these were the meats of choice because they were the, what was most abundant. Right. Uh, and then the, the wood of the region is what they would use. Hmm. And so even um, 
with the sauce? For example, it, it, if memory serves me correctly, is it more of a mustard-based sauce in the Carolinas? The Carolina is a vinegar-based sauce. Or vinegar, okay. Correct. Okay. So there's just a real different taste, no matter if it's kind of the same meat, either pork or, or um, beef, that that they're using. Uh, a lot of times they really give it a significant and distinct flavor with the sauce. Right. Right. So how did you become the guru of all things barbecue? <laughs> what uh, what got you interested in that? I, I wouldn't say that I'm a guru. I think uh, I, I'm more of a uh, Jedi in training. Um <laughs> I, I've only recently started working here, uh, and, you know, in the short period of time that I've been here, Chef Kenny Callahan has really uh, taught me a lot about barbecue. You know, prior to being here, I was uh, mostly at classical French and contemporary French restaurants mm-hmm. for actually a decade. Um, and in my last job, we started uh, messing around with some barbecue. Ah. And, uh, you know, I, we convinced the chef to buy us a, a small smoker, one that we can kind of, uh, you know, sneak into our very tight accommodations. And, uh, it, you know, it worked out. And really that, you know, that what what we considered a toy at the time uh, ended up, you know, doing uh, wonders for, uh, you know, our new barbecue program at my last job, and then, you know, that gave birth to the interest that I currently have in barbecue. That is so fascinating, and I understand that you actually started a barbecue program at um, Danielle Boulud's DBGB restaurant there in New York City. And Correct. That, yes, and that's a real um, switch, as you were saying, from the classically French-trained <laughs> uh, menus I'm sure you were preparing to start off of the barbecue. Well, at, at DBGB, that was uh, more of like a gastro bar. Uh, so we had some, you know, we had some everyday bar food, but in a very French setting. And that was kind of blended with a lot of American things like a uh, good old hamburger. Uh, that hamburger, one of our hamburgers happened to have uh, uh, pulled pork on it. Ah. which when we first started, we were buying from uh, someone in the city. Uh, and then we realized, you know, this would be kind of fun to make it ourselves, and, you know, why not uh, Why not try and figure it out? Uh, so that, you know, out of that came the, the little smoker, and then from there, you know, this great interest in barbecue. Just, just from that pulled pork that we wanted to do for our hamburger... Hmm. That gave birth to so many other smoked items that the restaurant ended up uh, doing over the years. Oh, and it all began with that smoker. (laughs) So what? It's funny if you ask, uh, you know, if you ask any, you know, self-respecting pitmaster, you know, what their opinion is on these little box smokers, you know, they'd probably have a chuckle. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, we, we cranked some pretty uh, decent barbecue out of that little box. <laughs> that is great. A little box came up with some big 
items. So that's great. Yeah. And what have you discovered along your, your journey in, uh, in terms of barbecue? What the secrets to creating the best and most flavorful pit barbecue, uh, you know, has it, is what is is there a secret or, or are there some helpful hints that our kitchen chat listeners can can try on their own at home? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the, the the secret to great barbecue is a combination is a combination of spices and flavors uh, mixed with uh, you know your your smoke of choice. Uh, so you know, if if you're uh, if you're a, a home barbecue and, and you're just you know, trying to get your barbecue dialed in to impress your friends and family, mm-hmm. uh, then really it's nothing more than, you know, obtaining a good product, uh, going to, you know, if you have a good relationship with a local butcher, you know, seeing what they have to offer, um, you know, and then getting your own uh, spice mixture together. You can start off by just, you know, Googling, uh, you know, a standard spice mixture for a particular region, and then toy around with it. If you know, if, if you want to add different elements to it that make it unique to yourself, uh, you know, if you're Hispanic and you want to add cumin, by all means, add cumin. Um, and then the smoke, uh, the type of smoke. If you're doing a butt, you know, you want to get something strong in there, uh, like a hickory. Uh, you can use oak, uh, some mesquite. You know, that stuff you can all buy at. Uh, your regular uh, hardware store, really. Right. Uh, and then, and then the only the you know the the, the real you know the real uh, important part is cooking it slow and low. Okay. Making sure that you have well, making sure that you have plenty of beer. It's going to take you a very long. <laughs> a good book, uh, maybe a bottle of wine, and a lot of patience. You know, and what you'll be doing is tending, uh, you know, a fire essentially, like a campfire. Hmm. Just very slow and gentle, you know, just let this thing go. And that, that really is the key. Having the right product, having the right spice mixed with the right smoke and, uh, you know, the, the, a fair amount of, of patience. Okay. Now, how do you bring those important elements and secrets to a great barbecue to a restaurant where... People are just always in a hurry. There's such a demand. You know, how, how does that work? The the slow and low <laughs> to meet the consumer's well, pace. Well, the, all that works if you eliminate the beer, wine, and the sitting down to read a book. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? What we are what we are trained to do as chefs is put as much love into something uh, in an otherwise uh, chaotic environment. Mm-hmm. So we really have to be, beyond just being a, a very creative person, we have to be very good at organizing ourselves and uh, setting up these systems where you can stagger your products throughout the day so that not everything is coming out at once. You're staggering it throughout the day so that what is being served for lunch is what is coming out of the smoker uh, that morning just a few hours prior to lunch. Uh, so that requires setting up, you know, the night before, organizing yourself, making sure that everybody's doing the job properly, 
and then, you know, making sure that along the way you're just double-checking the product to make sure that it's, it's where it needs to be. Right. And and so you feature on the menu every day um, the ribs, the, the pulled pork, the brisket, etc., or do you focus on only one kind of specialty per day? No, we, we have the full selection every day. Wow. So all the ribs, the brisket, the smoked uh, pork butt, smoked chicken, smoked chicken wings. Mm. Oh, that does sound yummy. <laughs> um, and, and I'm just trying to get a, a sense of, of what it's like to be in your kitchen, too. If you could kind of give a, a visual description to myself and, and the listeners. I Are you surrounded by open pit bar- barbecue pits, or, or are they kind of contained? Does it get really hot? Do you do anything outside, or, or everything is done inside? How does that work? Well... Uh, what we're really surrounded, what we're really surrounded with all day long, is a lot of heat and happiness. <laughs> uh, happiness and humidity, right? <laughs> and hum- and humidity these last few days, yes. <laughs> um, you know, and the heat, the heat is a given. Uh, mm. The happiness is a must. Oh. Uh, we work very hard. We are surrounded. You know, we do a lot. Uh, a barbecue place in an urban setting is, is quite a challenge, as you can imagine. And we do a lot. We put a lot of effort into what we do. Uh, and, in, you know, in order to maintain our stress levels, you know, we make it our priority to respect one another, uh, yelling, stuff like that. I mean, it's really, it's an interesting environment that it's not your typical kitchen, which is great. Which is great, because most of the barbecuing, I, as I recall in the South, a lot of it, you know, we'd go outdoors, and uh, the barbecuing would be, you know, outside and and everything. But th- this is a lot of heat. I mean, how, yeah. do you have ventilation? I mean, do you have air conditioning on in the wintertime? I mean, how does, <laughs> how does yeah, that? Yeah, no, there, there's, there's always adequate ventilation. You know, the beauty, the beauty of our barbecue pits is that they're so high-tech. Right. You know, at any given moment when you open uh, the barbecue pit door, you can uh, engage uh, an evac system that draws all the heat and the smoke out so that you can check your product or add product or, you know, remove product without inundating the kitchen and the dining room with uh, all that smoke. Wow. So it must, you know, I guess you're creating your own barbecue cologne each time you <laughs> leave oh, the yeah. restaurant. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. Something to market there. Now, um, not being an expert by any means on the barbecue techniques, what exactly, how did the name Blue Smoke um, arise? Is that specifically in terms of a um, barbecue technique or... Or what? How does that come into play? How did your restaurant get the name? Uh, from my understanding, the restaurant's name was. They came up with it. Uh, you know, they they knew that they wanted to do this restaurant, and I forget the individual that actually uh, put up the name, but I know that it was a conversation between Danny Meyer and Kenny Callahan and Mark Maynard Parisi. 
and uh, a number of other individuals. And, you know, someone shouted out this name, and it stuck. Well, that that's great. And and do you have, you know, with that little tagline, Urban Barbecue, where live music lives, do you have a lot of uh, the blues played there? Or what kind of music is uh, featured there? We actually have, uh, there's a lot of jazz uh, on a nightly basis. Uh, we oh. do get the occasional blues band come through, but mm-hmm. it's mostly jazz. Um, and that's uh, that's downstairs. Uh, Blue Smoke is actually two different restaurants mm-hmm. uh, serving the same menu. Uh, it's Blue Smoke Jazz Standard, and the Jazz Standard uh, is where you can catch you know any number of uh, amazing jazz bands. Uh, you know, that's... any day of the week, really. Oh, that that's just such a perfect combination, barbecue and jazz. That that uh really I think encourages uh the diner to pull out a book, a glass of wine and uh <laughs> wait for the barbecue. That that's a great combination. Two, two very original American concepts. Yes. Under one roof. Yeah. It's pretty amazing and, and I I regularly uh, go down there to have dinner and catch a show. And one is to enjoy the music, but two to also make sure that, you know, what we're doing in the kitchen is actually, you know, hitting the table tasty and all things good. <laughs> and what is your favorite dish that you enjoy eating? Uh, my favorite dish currently, uh, well, since I started, is the uh, beef ribs. Beef ribs? I think it's... It, it's so simple, you know, it's the salt and the pepper, it's the, you know, the smoke, the smokiness from the apple wood, uh, and just that, and that tenderness. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's a, it's an amazing uh, product. Wow. So apple wood is what you like to pair with um, with the ribs. Then yeah, generally uh, all our ribs are done in, in apple wood. Okay. Okay. So, how do you prepare the sauce? Is is sauce an important element, or is it more important to have the smoke? I guess the smoke uh, flavor. I think you know. I think everything has uh, every everything contributes equally uh, to you know any particular dish being amazing. Uh, the sauces are definitely an important part of it, but it's not everything. Because you can have an amazing sauce and, you know, execute the smoking uh, poorly, and then you have nothing more than a, a sauce uh, dry rip. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and is there a secret of really having um, just those ribs that melt in your mouth? I mean, what what can, I guess, listeners take away and, and say, oh, that's a great technique. I'm going to have to try that next time. Well, I think the temperature is key. Um, you should also have a good product. Yeah. Um, you know, if if you can, if you have the opportunity to get, uh, say, uh, a Nyman Ranch uh, pork butt, uh, you know, that's going to be an amazing product because someone took care, uh, someone took very good care on their end of, of raising that animal uh, and bringing it, it to your door, you know, in, in a you know, in a very good state, fresh. Right. Uh, and then once you have that product in hand, then it's really all about uh, the, the temperature. Hmm. Um, you know, 
Hispanics, Hispanics will roast the pork shoulder, you know, with some garlic, salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. Very simple. Uh, but the key, the key to it is the temperature. Okay. 200 degrees, you know, very slow until you get that nice tender product that, you know, hasn't, uh, because of high heat, has not uh, dried out. The same applies, that same principle applies to barbecue. Hmm. And do you marinate it before, or you just prepare it with the the smoke and the spice? Well, you would uh, you would rub if if the recipe calls for it. You would okay. rub with a spice, um, or you know, for example, with the butts, you just cook them as is, and then you're adding the seasoning after and the sauce after. Oh, okay. Okay, so it depends on which um, preparation you're you're making and which meat or recipe. And yeah. and with with the sauces, what is um, the the most flavorful flavorful sauce uh, that you've really sampled in terms of these regions? I'm sorry. Can you it, repeat that again? Yes, in terms of the the sauces. Um, and this, you know, I know there are different rubs and all of that, but uh, you know, with the St. Louis and Kansas City versus Memphis and the Carolinas, if you could maybe share a little bit about the different styles and taste of those well, operations. Mm-hmm. With, for example, with Kansas City, uh, you know, their 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 thing is mainly ribs. Uh, the sauces tend to be tomato based. Uh, it's a thick sauce. It's a sweet sauce. You know, that's the kind of sauce that, uh, you, you know, you, you kind of want at a backyard barbecue, you know, where you just, you know, if you can just envision, uh, you know, uh, sauce all over the face, all over your hands, you know, nice <laughs> little beer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then there's the, you know, then there's the Carolinas where, you know, you take the pulled pork, and you're putting uh, vinegar-based sauce on there, you know, to kind of cut all that richness. And those, you know, that kind of sauce on top of a pulled pork uh, sandwich, that to me is amazing. Again, with a beer. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> or bourbon. The bourbon actually would go well. <laughs> oh, or a different marinade for that, right? And yeah. Um, and what about... Um, Memphis. What would be the distinguishing flavor for Memphis? Um, again, again, the tomato-based sauce. Okay. Sticky, sweet. Uh, you know, a little different than uh, the Kansas City, but you know, similar. Okay. Okay, and um, with the Texas. Does that have um, its own taste? <laughs> Texas, Texas is funny. I heard someone uh, saying that you know a Texan, uh, a true Texan, wouldn't be caught dead with a sauce in his hand. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's that's you see that in our ribs, the beef ribs. It's just simple salt, pepper. Same with the uh, brisket. Okay. Salt and pepper. Okay, but it seems like the the underlying um what would you say i guess the the technique or the taste or the 
the underlying thing that everything has in common is that everything is cooked slow and low with a specific sp smoke and spice. Yeah. Okay, and so with that in mind, what would you have as some suggestions for great summer dishes that a home cook, one of our listeners, can could could take away and make? Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things that I like to do uh, from time to time at my house is uh, a whole pork butt. You know, and you can... I think it would probably be a special order. If you live in uh, Manhattan, mm -hmm. uh, you can go down to Essex Street Market or you can go over to uh, Faicos, uh, the Italian, the old-school Italian uh, butcher on Bleecker, and just ask for a, a whole shoulder. Uh, you bring that, you bring them home, and, you know, a little salt and pepper uh, right on the grill. Uh, if you have a gas grill, um, the way around the smoking process is to, they sell them, uh, it's called a smoker box. Hmm. You get a little smoker box or even a coffee can with some holes in it, <laughs> put a couple of wood chips in that, and then you turn your grill as low as possible, trying to achieve a constant temperature of around 200. Um, you know, if your grill doesn't go that low, you know, you can, you can go upwards of 225. Uh, but 200 is preferable. And then you just, you know, again, slow and low until mm -hmm. it reaches an internal temperature of 180 degrees and it feels nice and tender to the touch. Uh, and then you can dress that with uh, what I what I really like to do around Christmas time uh, for my family, a sour orange mojo, mm. uh, which is not, nothing more than uh, some garlic, Scotch bonnet peppers, cumin seeds, olive oil, orange juice, uh, Spanish sherry vinegar, uh, and some ground black pepper uh, blended. And then you just pour that right over. And if you want to adjust the salt, if you like it a little bit saltier, by all means. If you, know, if you don't want any salt, then just keep it out. That sounds doable. So you don't have to have an open uh, pit barbecue, barbecue pit to, to prepare these items. You can just on your own grill outside or even in the oven. Could you still do this? Well, I, if you do it in the oven, then, you know, you can't put the smoke in unless you want to smoke your house out. Oh, that's true. <laughs> and if, if, you, if you do want to smoke your house out, then I suggest that, uh, removing your fire, your, your smoke detectors. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, and you don't have to have one of those rotisserie types of things. I mean, is are there special things that really do better on a rotisserie or no? Is that just kind of changed or how does that work? No, you know, I, I, think, I think that uh, if you're paying attention to the technique, you don't need anything fancy. Okay. Um, I have at home your most basic grill, uh, and it has a, a basin on the bottom where I can just put some wood. Hmm. Uh, you know, and if I turn it as low as it can possibly go, I can do some pretty good barbecue. Great. 
Yeah, wow. And and what do you like to serve as a side dish for your barbecue creations? Um, I love mac and cheese. <laughs> mac and cheese. Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm a health nut. Uh, I like to take good care of myself, but... From from time to time, I will uh, not only cook a pork, a whole pork butt. Uh, I will add uh, some some very uh, some very amazing sides like mac and cheese. Uh, my wife will will put together some uh, buttermilk biscuits. Uh, mm-hmm. The last one she did was uh, I think it was sweet potato sweet potato biscuits with honey butter, and we did some uh, country style uh, spare ribs. Oh, yeah. In the smoker. And that was amazing. Oh, I would say I would say a combination of those three things. That sounds great. And do you serve the same in the restaurant? Do you have the side dishes to go along with it? And and can can diners order that mac and cheese there, too? Yeah, actually, uh, we have we have an amazing mac and cheese um, that I cannot stop eating. Which and is, is not a is not a good thing. It's not a good <laughs> thing for my waistline. But um, it, I mean, it's it's brilliant. I've never really, I've never really tasted anything like this. Uh, the way the sauce is made, and, you know, and the way the whole thing is put together, it's just brilliant. And is there a special cheese that is used, or what do you think that secret ingredient is? Well, we use we use a, a blend of American and cheddar. Uh, you know, the rest, the remaining uh, ingredients are a secret. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think it must be the ambience of the heat and the happiness in the kitchen <laughs> there at Blue Smoke. <laughs> That's the secret yeah. ingredient. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, this is great. And I understand that the website, um, listeners definitely check this out, www.bluesmoke.com, and you can follow... Uh, the restaurant on Twitter uh, at Blue Smoke NYC, and uh, do you post some some recipes or or anything like that that the readers might enjoy? Any special features on the website? Updates, you know what's going on. Uh, you know we we just recently had the tenth uh, annual barbecue block party. Uh, you know that sort of information is. Right. And you know, upcoming events, uh, jazz ash, things like that. That's right. You had an an uh, your tenth annual, that's amazing, outside yeah. barbecue block party. <laughs> Tell yeah. us a quick highlight on that. That must have been amazing. A quick highlight? Yeah. Two hundred two hundred thousand plus people no. descended on Madison Square Park for a two-day, uh, a two, uh, two-day um, party. It was amazing. Saturday and Sunday, uh, first week in June. It was it was an experience, and it was my first block party uh, as a chef. I've come as a guest plenty of times, but it's interesting. It was interesting to see it from that end. Oh, how fun! How fun! Yeah. Kind of. Uh, Sounds like the taste of Chicago, but here's a focus on barbecue. How how fun is that? Well, I'll definitely try to um, make that next June. So it's every June then that the the barbecue party? Yeah, it's every year in June at Madison Square Park. Uh, We would love to have you. Blue Smoke has a VIP tent, 
uh, where we serve a couple of little uh, extra um, things to sample. Uh, this year we did uh, smoked lamb ribs with yogurt and uh, lamb bacon. Mm. Uh, you know, next year who knows what we'll come up with, but well, we'd love we'd love to have you. Uh, come spend the afternoon with us. Oh, thank you, and I would love to be there. What a fun time, and I definitely would love to visit the kitchen. <laughs> where, oh, for sure. Uh, yes, this just sounds great, and and um, yes, all the best. You've just recently joined Blue Smoke there in March, I guess, so just there uh, yeah. months, and, and I'm sure the creations will continue there, as, as, and you do sound indeed like a guru of, of barbecue, and I so <laughs> appreciate your, your taking the time to, to share some secrets of, of the techniques and, and information with us today here on Kitchen Chat. So thank you so much, Chef Eddie, and listeners, definitely check out Blue Smoke. Uh, they're in New York City at Flatiron, and uh, thank you so much for joining me on Kitchen Chat today. I am so excited, listeners, to introduce you to our second guest today from Blue Smoke, Flatiron, there in New York City. Once again, it's part of the wonderful, wonderful Danny Meyer Group, Union Square Hospitality Group. And, you know, in, in the prior interview, Eddie Montalvo, Chef Eddie, was talking about how he likes to pair barbecue and beer. Well, we will hear from the beer guru, one of the beer gurus of all of Manhattan, in terms of beer um, and and what else it goes with, as long, along with some wonderful beverage opportunities. So, Please welcome Tanika Green, who is the Assistant General Manager, Beverage Director at Blue Smoke Battery Park City. Tanika, welcome to Kitchen Chat. Margaret, hello. Thank you. Oh, well, good. It's so good to have you here. It was so much fun. Chef Eddie was talking about, oh, the perfect pairing, beer and barbecue, So, especially when you're out in the heat trying to, uh, trying to, to cook that barbecue. But I have learned something completely new about beer, and, and I, I'm just so curious to, to hear more about this. You are one of only 10, and forgive me if I'm um, mispronouncing this, Cicerone, is that how you yes. pronounce it? Which is officially a beer sommelier, and uh, you have an actual certification as a Cicerone. And listeners, if you're curious, that is spelled C I C. E-R-O-N-E, and officially known as a beer sommelier. What exactly is a beer sommelier? Well, for so many years, people sort of uh, called themselves a beer sommelier or said, you know, I'm an expert on beer, but there was no way to quantify that. (laughs) And a gentleman from the Chicago area, actually, Ray Davies, decided that he would create a program based on the Court of Masters Sommeliers um, program to really be able to judge someone's knowledge on beer. And so the program itself is still in the early stages. It's about four years old. And um, there are three levels of, of examination. The first level is an introductory beer seller, and so that sort of just lets you understand how to take care of beer because it's pretty fragile. And then it grows from there, being Cicero being the middle level. And then there's a master level, which there's only about four people right now who are at master level certification. Four people in the United States. 
in the world. Yeah. In the world. Wow. And and you you mentioned something that just intrigues me that beer is fragile. What what makes beer fragile? I thought it you is in the fridge. You know. Yeah, it's very susceptible to light and an air. And can very quickly go bad, which people don't really realize because you think, oh, you know, wine is really a fine product and it's it's much more um, expensive on the market. And wine is, or beer is sort of less expensive and seen as a good time beverage, but it is very delicate and has to be handled in really particular ways. So it's sort of the goal is to get everyone serving beer to understand how to take care of beer so that the guest gets the freshest product. This is so interesting, and and you know, like grapes, I guess. Do you do you need to be completely conversant on um, the types of? Is it barley or what? And I'm so sorry, I don't really know much about beer. What actually goes into beer? Sure, there are four main components. Um, mm-hmm. Water being the number one because it makes up about ninety percent of the actual ending beverage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeast which is what you're going to use to actually make the alcohol. And then barley or some sort of cereal grain. Okay. So it can be barley, wheat, rye, and then uh, hops, of course, which is sort of like the seasoning for beer. Hmm. And what exactly are hops? Hops are a flower, the only other relative of the cannabis plant, actually. Of the um, plant? I'm sorry. Uh, cannabis. And what is hemp. that? Oh, hemp. Oh, oh, okay. Huh. Interesting. And so the hop, what is that used for? You you say seasoning or? It, it used, it's used to bring out, to develop bitter, bitterness in beer as well as different flavor compounds. So you'll have citrus notes depending on the hop that you use. You'll have more herbal notes depending on the hops that you use. Hmm. Um Really, the hops really sort of influence the flavor overall of the beer. Interesting. So it's kind of like the spice for, you know, preparing something in the kitchen. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Wow. And so, and I guess the the barley or the cereal grain would be comparable to the grapes. And is there, you know, a certain way that that barley or, 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 you know, the cereal grains are harvested? I mean, does that go into the quality in terms of, um, you know, whether something, you know, organic or I, I don't know. I was just very curious mm-hmm. about that, too. Well, the basic, with beer in particular, the basic starting formula is about the same regardless. So you choose the grain based on how it grows, and then you sort of trick it into sprouting. Hmm. And then you stop that process. And what you're doing there is that you're making it... Um, the sugar is available so that you can convert it into beer, essentially, because you need sugar in order for the yeast to eat that. So you, it's not as barley is to grapes as much as it is barley to provide the base. Okay. okay. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And, and, and I'm just, yeah, I, I was just so interested in hearing that rye can be uh, an ingredient. I think of you know the rye and pastrami there in <laughs> there in New York, the Reuben sandwiches. Um, I think that's served on rye, but uh, so that could be one of the ingredients. Absolutely. And how does that affect the taste? That's going to give you more of a spicy note 
um, much like the same way that it is in, in bread. Um, so it gives you a richer flavor. You'll still have barley used with the rye, but it definitely intensifies the flavor of the beer. And what about the color? Because I think, uh, or is that pumpernickel? Maybe I'm thinking of pumpernickel. <laughs> well, pumpernickel in there at all? Well, no, that's a really good point, actually. Um, once you've harvested the grain, whichever grain you use, and then you toast it, depending on the degree to which you toast it, that's where you're going to get the color from for your beer. Oh, wow. Okay. And so are most of the beers we're talking about like on draft or you also focus on the bottled ones? Both. We have, at our new restaurant, we have 10 beers on draft and then an additional 45 to 50 in the bottle. Hmm. And do you see um, the sources of those mainly being U.S.? Um, I don't know. Do you call them beer manufacturers or... Mm -hmm. um, uh, U.S. Or, or imported or kind of a mix? For, for us in particular, since uh, our food is such comfort food and great American um, history, our beers tend to focus on American craft brewers. Okay. Wow. And so I'm curious because Chef Montavo is making all of our taste buds go crazy with this discussion of like pulled pork and, and some of the wonderful barbecue items on, on the menu there at Blue Smoke. So how do you pair um, the different barbecue items with beer? Is there kind of a science, or or, how, or do you give kind of a little beer tasting to see <laughs> which ones the customers prefer, or how does that work? Yeah, exactly. We um, sort of take a couple different approaches. There are some basic tried-and-true methods of pairing beer with food mm -hmm. um, in terms of intensity. So if a beer is very intensely hoppy, you'd want a, a food item that sort of can match that intensity. Hmm. It's something like pork is very sweet on its own without any sauce. And so I like to pair that with a richer, maltier beer. Hmm. So those two things can pull, play on each other and, and really enhance the flavor. That's interesting. So, so with, when you're talking about hops, and as we just learned, it's kind of like the spice. So if it's mm -hmm. real hoppy or real spicy, you would still pair that with something a food that's really spicy. You can, absolutely. Okay. The other thing, um, Food Del Po, you know, has a fair amount of, of, of fat and rich to it. So it's something that's really happy can kind of cut through that. Oh, okay. This is just fascinating. So you have... Um, all of these varieties there on on hand, and what what do you think? Um, I guess your top requested, your most requested type of beer to go with a barbecue. What what does that seem to be? Of course, our blue smoke original ale, oh. or a because it's crisp and light and refreshing. Wait, the blue smoke original ale, and what was the other one? A Pilsner-style beer. Oh, okay. Great. And so a Blue Smoke original. So do you actually brew beer there on premise? Do you have like a... <laughs> Not quite yet. Actually, Brooklyn Brewery um, brews, has brewed this beer for us for the last 10 years. Neat. Neat. And so did you um, help uh, develop the taste of the beer then? This was something that our uh, managing partner, Mark Maynard-Parisi, and Danny Meyer worked on 
with Brooklyn Brewery to develop a beer specifically that would go with our menu. Wow. Oh, this is just fascinating to hear. And um, how would you describe the taste of the original ale for Blue Smoke? It's um, it's an amber ale. It's slightly sweet and mildly hoppy, so it's really easy to drink. I love the descriptions, mildly hoppy, <laughs> to put that in the <laughs> vocabulary. And, and when you say amber ale, that I assume refers to the color? Yes. Okay, so the amber would be the meat, or how, or I guess if you could take us through the color scale of beer, that would be... I'm sorry? Is there like a color scale of beer, like amber, dark ale? I mean, what? how does that work? Sure. Sure, it goes as far as, as pale as, I'd say, straw, huh. and it's always jet black, like a Guinness, which is, oh, you can't, yeah, be, you can't yeah. see through it. Okay. And so an amber ale is sort of like it's white smack dab in the middle. Okay. Oh, that's that's great. And do you, is that on draft, or does it come yes. in bottles? Okay. Great. Oh, and, and is this available at grocery stores yet? If, are you planning on bottling it or any plans? This is something you, you have to come to us to have. Okay, so it's really exclusive. You have to venture to Blue Smoke uh, restaurants there in, in New York to, to have a sample firsthand. Well, I, I'm just so curious. You mentioned, um, thank goodness, there, there are, what, four, only four Cicerones, beer sommeliers worldwide, and um, you are one of ten Cicerones um, in New York City, or, or the master, I guess the master Cicerone, there are only four worldwide, and in New York, you're one of the Cicerones uh, in New York City, and there are only ten. I mean, it, it, this is quite an accomplishment. Um, what did it take to become one, uh, and why did you decide to become one? Sure. I was um, had just recently taken over the beverage program at Blue Smoke, and we decided that we really wanted to amplify our training program mm-hmm. and get our staff really on board and excited about the products that they were selling. And so we uh, developed a training class along with another uh, beer instructor, and I started to get really interested because I'd never had any real exposure to beer in that way. Mm-hmm. Most of my training up until then has been with wine, and so this is a, a completely new thing for me to think of beer on these on these terms. And slowly over the process of going through that training, I decided to continue and move forward because beer is such a it's like the oldest beverage um, aside from water, you know. And so just learning about it was more it was connected to learning about the history of, of civilization. Huh. Beer really goes back that far. When when did when was the first beer consumed, and by whom? The, uh, the the prevailing idea right now is that it was created um, by the Sumerians in the Middle East, what is now Iraq, somewhere about ten thousand years ago. Wow! Oh, so. that is that is so interesting to hear, and I wonder how they discovered that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, great. And so you were inspired to just really bring, a, a, I guess, a, a great product knowledge to the diners there at that Blue, blue Smoke. That's that's just wonderful to hear. Now, now you hear a lot about um, microbreweries, and, and what are some, 
ideas. I guess, you know, you, you can go to Napa Valley and, and go have a little wine tasting at the different <laughs> vineyards. Um, what if someone were to come there? Do you offer classes in terms of, or, or do you offer beer sampling, or how does it work at your restaurant? Absolutely. We love people to come in and try different things. We try to keep a good rotating um, selection on our draft lines mm-hmm. so that people can always come back and taste different things. One of the choices available overall for us is a beer flight. Oh, so you can come so. in and you can choose five different beers so you can sort of pick and choose and see what you really like. Oh, yeah. So it's really like visiting the Napa Valley for beer at <laughs> Blue Smoke. <laughs> that is great. Now, do you see any trends within the microbreweries? And I don't know if it's coming up with different hops in terms of fruity flavored or um, or definitely calories are always a concern in terms of the lightness. Um, do you see any new trends emerging within microbreweries or ales that are offered? What's I think right now what's happening is for American microbreweries especially, there's such a drive for big, big, intense flavor. And some microbreweries now are sort of backing up and and mellowing out hmm. so that their beers are a bit more approachable for, you know, the average person, which I think is really exciting because I think that will also help to bring beer to more people who necessarily might be turned off by how intense it can be. Interesting. And do you still see uh, the light being an option in terms of, I don't know, is there a, a Blue Smoke Original Ale Light <laughs> offered as well? <laughs> you, you bring up a really good point as well. Um, our Blue Smoke Ale is definitely our top seller on draft, but as far as bottle beers, people love the classic American lineup, so Bud Light really mm-hmm. goes well, mm-hmm. and um, Abita Light out of Louisiana, huh. which makes a really nice full-flavored light beer. So I think that people want to still be conscious of their waistline Mm -hmm. and still be able to enjoy a flavorful beer. So I think that will always remain uh, a possibility and the case for us, for sure. Great, and especially pairing that beer with barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another quick question. You not only deal with the beer, but your other beverages, of course. And I understand you've come up with some creative handcrafted cocktails such as the Clooney Cobbler. I would love to hear about that. And is that named after Sir George Clooney himself? <laughs> <laughs> it is. We At Blue Smoke, the original, we have a jazz club. Ah. And sometimes some of the inspiration for the cocktails will come from that. Mm-hmm. And so with the, the Clooney Cobbler in particular, I was in the jazz club and um, trying to come up with a nice spring cocktail, and for some reason, Rosemary Clooney caught my mind, George's aunt, and just, you know, with her being a singer, and sort of sweet and energetic and spicy, which is uh, all all qualities that this this cocktail has, Uh and so there's blackberries and jalapeno tequila, lemon juice, so it ends up being a really refreshing, approachable cocktail. Oh, that's fun. So I guess from a cocktail perspective, using a beer terminology, you could say Rosemary Clooney definitely was quite hoppy. 
<laughs> oh, that's great, and great music as well that that she oh, created. Um, and then I guess uh, there's also a trend like with virgin cocktails and cocktails with a low alcohol alcohol content. What are some ways that you know there are definitely some some non-drinkers and and the listenership. Uh, what are some ideas where they can enjoy some? some lovely uh, no-alcohol or low-alcohol content on some creations. Sure. I think one of the easiest ways to do it at home, especially, is by making your own simple syrup. Ah. And you can use different ingredients. You can use agave syrup as your base, which hmm. is, uh, has a, a lot lower glycemic index. So you won't. It'll be healthier for you. Yeah. And then you can flavor it with different things that you like. In summer, I love thyme using that um, as a base for the syrup. Hmm. Kind of so refreshing. And having that with a little club soda on the rocks. Ah, interesting. That's a great... I'm going to have to try that. So time and club soda. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And and you mentioned syrup. How do you make a syrup? So it's like agave and, and then you just put whatever, like the fruits and everything in that as well? So what you'd want to do is take a basic syrup would be one part sugar to one part water. Okay. Okay. And you can just heat that up for very briefly so mm-hmm. that the sugar dissolves. And then you can flavor it with whatever sort of uh, herb that you have. Great. Oh, that does sound fun and doable at home. Um, and what are some unexpected updates on classic cocktails? Um, this year, with the opening of our new restaurant, we tried to do something new, and Manhattan, I think, is one of the perfect classic cocktails. And what's in a Manhattan? It is, um, bourbon or rye, Mm -hmm. sweet vermouth, and bitters, essentially. Wow. What we wanted to do was have something that was signature to blue smoke, and, um, so we decided to smoke the bourbon. Ah, wow. And so that red muscle is like a nice hint of smoke balanced out with all these other flavors, which is really like a signature thing, so it's a bit of an up. Oh, so do you think mint juleps will be smoked too? (laughs) Absolutely. Well, this just sounds like such a fun place to make it to go. I encourage listeners check out bluesmoke.com, a wonderful restaurant in Danny Myers Union Square Hospitality Group. And Tanika, are you um, you know available there at the restaurant if if folks want to come chat a bit? Yes, absolutely. Oh, terrific. We'll definitely connect uh, with Tanika Green, who is the Assistant GM and Beverage Director at Blue Smoke in Battery Park City there in Manhattan. Um, You can check out Blue Smoke at www.bluesmoke.com. And I guess I encourage you all to be hoppy. (laughs) I love that. I have a new fun term, to be hoppy in life. (laughs) <laughs> to add that extra spice to, to your day. And um, this is great. Thank you so much, Tanika, for, for sharing all this great information with us today. 
Thank you so much. It was wonderful speaking with you. Oh, same here. And listeners, please stay in touch. And I encourage everyone just to sit down and savor the day. Thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in Margaret's books, A Mother's Heart Knows, Pearl Girls Encountering Grit, Experiencing Grace, and Go Back and Be Happy, please just click on the covers on the webtalkradio.net page in front of you. Margaret would love to connect with you and hear from you. So join her on Twitter, Facebook, her blog, or click on this website to leave a note and share a recipe. Thank you again, and we'll see you here again for a new show next week.